As the state approaches one year since Governor J.B. Pritzker issued a stay-at-home order that brought the Illinois economy to a halt, the governor made the rounds with news organizations to discuss the past year and the next steps in battling the pandemic. That included an interview with Capital News Illinois Monday afternoon, in which the governor and I discussed the budget for the upcoming fiscal year and how federal stimulus dollars should be spent, whether the pandemic has strained his relationship with fellow Democrats, and what difficulties he might face in passing a budget in the upcoming session. We also talked about whether the past year has redefined the powers of the office of the governor and whether the state will be able to meet President Joe Biden's goal of opening up COVID-19 vaccinations to the entire population May 1st. I'm Jerry Nowicki, and this is our latest edition of Capital Cast. The governor and I began our conversation, which was recorded via video conference, talking about the American Rescue Plan. That's the latest federal COVID-19 stimulus package, which sends more than $7 billion to the state government alone. The governor said while that money must be allocated by the end of this year, it can be spent until 2024. We talked about what action may be taken to allocate the funds in the spring legislative session, as states have more leeway in spending the funds than they did in previous stimulus packages. So, well, first of all, I appreciate your uh, giving me the time here. Sure. So the main thing I'm thinking about right now is with the American Rescue Plan, uh, what's the process going to be like? To what extent are lawmakers going to be involved in that? Well, I've already had discussions with the Senate president and the speaker. Um, you know, we're uh, also speaking with the uh, uh, the budget chairs uh, on both sides of the General Assembly. Uh, so, you know, there'll be robust conversations. I think, uh, you know, starting from the get-go, though, we've got to pay off the borrowing that we had to to make as a result of COVID. Uh, make sure we pay the bills, uh, any bills that are owed as a result of COVID. Uh, and then I think we need to focus our dollars on igniting the economy, making sure that we're doing uh, everything we can to get people back to work and to attract businesses and get businesses going. Uh, all of that is, I think, in, incumbent upon us with these dollars. One last thing is just that, you know, the unfortunately, we're going to have lingering expenses and uh, expenditures uh, as a result of COVID going into subsequent years, these are going to typically be healthcare related. Um, and so we just need to, you know, account for that in as we look at what to do with the dollars that are being provided. I also asked the governor if he would be open to approving a budget that builds federal stimulus funds into base spending, something the state comptroller and leadership in both parties warned against. I think that's extremely unwise. I think, you know, this is one-time revenue. Uh, we need to, you know, we need to spend it uh, as appropriate to one-time revenue uh, because it won't be recurring. Okay. So do you have any, has the last year sort of strained any relationships with lawmakers um, in, in either the Senate or the House? In what way do you mean? I mean, I know that there are Republicans who've tried to politicize COVID. Uh, and so to that extent, I think they've, uh, you know, they've developed some strain on their own uh, in the relationship. But uh, as far as I'm concerned, you know, we're going in the right direction, trying to keep people safe and healthy 
And anything that stands in the way of that, I think, is bad for the people of Illinois. Uh, so there are people who have fought against mitigations, people that have fought against masks. Um, you know, th those folks, I think, lack, uh, you know, lack a, uh, an awareness of the science uh, and, uh, you know, ignore that, that what they're doing is against the interests, the safety, the health uh, of, uh, of families across Illinois. So uh, within your own party, then, do you think it'll be more difficult to get uh, some agreement on a budget than it was maybe in your first year? Uh, I think we all have the same goals here. I mean, what we want to do is make sure we fund education properly, uh, that we do everything we can for, you know, social services and uh, and providing health care for people uh, across the state. And then uh, fiscal responsibility is you know, something we all have to be uh, focused on. And that's why, you know, the budget that I propose is a balanced budget. Uh, it also, as you know, cuts corporate welfare uh, and makes sure that we're funding the things that we really need to fund, like the Department of Children and Family Services, so that we can keep our children safe. The governor proposed his version of the fiscal year 2022 budget in February, and it kept funding flat for K-12 education. In 2017, lawmakers passed a law that called for $350 million to be added to the K-12 funding formula each year to help bring the state's neediest districts to funding adequacy. But the pandemic prevented the state from making that added investment last year. And the Illinois State Board of Education and some Democrats have pushed back on the governor's proposal to forego that funding for a second straight year. I asked the governor whether the final operating budget could include that. Is there a situation where this budget could free up uh, general revenue funds uh, the, to put towards the $350 million for K-12? Oh, I think, yeah, I think there are lots of uh, things that, that could be considered. But remember, this is all in the context of, of balancing the budget. Um, so if someone wants to propose, for example, uh, something that I'm very much in favor of, uh, you know, making sure that we have evidence-based funding, um, you know, that's not something we could propose in this budget because it's a pandemic budget. It's a budget that's, you know, we're, we're dealing with in, in the wake of this uh, terrible crisis of the virus. Uh, but, uh, but I would like to see education funding increased. Uh, one of the reasons that I favored a graduate income tax is because I think that's the, the best way for us to fund education uh, and do it in a way that's fair, that doesn't hit, hit uh, middle-class families. Uh, but in the context of the budget that I put forward, if somebody proposes an idea for spending new money or for uh, having new or, or you know continuing the tax expenditures of corporate welfare, look, I'm open to conversations and discussions about that, but they've got to tell me what else it is that they want to cut or where they're going to come up with revenue uh, to make sure that we can balance the budget. The governor's budget is also largely reliant on the closure of what he calls corporate tax loopholes, but opponents call necessary tax incentives for businesses in the state. Those include a temporary cap on net operating loss claims that is expected to net more than $300 million, canceling a planned phase-out of the corporate franchise tax to net $30 million, and ending lower tax rates for foreign source dividends to bring in about more than $100 million. In all, there are nine such corporate tax changes proposed by the governor in order to balance the budget. 
but we asked if he has any concerns that he may lose support from enough Democrats to doom those measures. That's a reality he faced in the lame duck session in January when Democrats failed to muster enough votes for a measure that would decouple state and federal tax code in an effort to keep state revenues in that area stable by preventing businesses from taking advantage of certain tax deductions created under the Federal CARES Act. The governor has said the decoupling measure would preserve more than $500 million in state revenues, but thus far he has not gotten the support from Democrats needed to pass it, and Republicans stand staunchly opposed to the measure, calling it a major tax increase on businesses. One of your main things on that is, is the corporate tax loopholes. What's the conversation? Um, have you heard anything that there might be some pushback uh, to, uh, even within your own party, regarding the uh, quote-unquote loopholes? No, mostly the pushback has been from the uh, business lobbyist groups uh, like uh, the Chamber of Commerce, like the Manufacturers Association. And no doubt they put pressure on lawmakers on both sides of the aisle. Uh, they're very powerful. They have money uh, and they can you know, lead legislators to uh, even vote for things that are against their interests or against the interests of uh, their uh, constituents. But I think the most important thing is that uh, we've got to balance the budget. And so any proposal that's being made by those business lobbyists to put back uh, corporate welfare, I'm, I'm all ears. They haven't proposed any way to pay for all of that. So very important for me to, uh, you know, to emphasize to members of the General Assembly on both sides of the aisle um, that whatever changes we make, uh, if you want to spend more, uh, whether it's tax expenditures for big businesses or uh, spend more on the things that I think we Democrats you know, might like to, which is to fund education more fully, you've got to tell me what else you want, what's going to give on the other side. Where's the revenue going to come from or where are the cuts going to come from? Uh, you say lobbyists, but uh, I mean, even the decoupling measure that you had uh, sort of said was so important didn't fail to get the vote. So do you feel like some of those same Democrats that wouldn't vote for that may be not on board with the um, loopholes? Oh, I think, um, I mean, let's let's you know be clear. Um, if we if whether there is decoupling or isn't decoupling is a question for lawmakers to make, uh, you know, do they want to allow the McConnell Trump tax cut at the federal level to take five hundred million dollars out of the Treasury of the state of Illinois uh, or not? That's a decision the General Assembly gets to make. There's no doubt about it. Uh, and so I, you know, I know that those same lobbyists that I was talking about are opposed to decoupling because they don't want big businesses in Illinois to pay any more in taxes or wealthy people in Illinois to pay any more in taxes, same people that opposed the fair tax. So, um, so, you know, they do have a lot of influence. There's no doubt about it, these lobbyists. So is that, uh, is that officially dead or no, the decoupling, could that, you still get that in or? That's up to the legislature. Okay. Um, so then kind of what I'm wondering is with your one year, how do you think um, the way you've wielded the executive office authority, how do you think that changes the precedent uh, going forward for future governors? Well, I think it's precisely what past governors have done, as you've seen uh, in the past when there's been a flood, for example, uh, you know, floods don't end at 30 days. 
floods end whenever the flood recedes. Uh, and the same thing is true about coronavirus. You know, we've had to react to it. It's a, I mean, this is the most unusual thing that anybody's ever seen uh, in the history of the United States in terms of an emergency, uh, including the pandemic in 1918. This is worse. And uh, so it's important to recognize that, um, you know, how we handled it when the legislature was not in session and chose not to be in session uh, was to do what other governors have done, which is treat it like an emergency, do whatever it is that we needed to do to save lives, to use our emergency management capability, our Department of Health, uh, and every other resource that's available uh, to keep people safe. What's uh, May 1st with, with President Biden for uh, getting everybody in the vaccine line? Um, how feasible is that? And will there be a more centralized process or will it be the same sign up where you just refresh who's ever Walgreens site or county site until you find something? Well, we have two centralized ways that people can get vaccinated, get an appointment. One is uh, the coronavirus.illinois.gov website where they can find by their zip code where they can get an appointment. And then the other is the uh, the uh, hotline that we created that will allow people that don't have access to technology or don't know how to use it, uh, don't want to use it, can just call in and get help getting an appointment. And as to meeting the uh, proposed uh, date of May 1 by President Biden, um, I feel very confident that we can meet that date and I think we might be able to do a little bit better. Okay, just and that's just with the existing uh, mobile teams and everything you've been setting up? In addition to the 105,000 on average that we now are able to vaccinate uh, each day, uh, we've set up uh, the capability in our mass vaccination sites and in so many other places to simply add more vaccine to those locations. And we still have about 40 teams at the National Guard that are available to go out and build either new mass vac sites or to augment the ones that already exist and to work with local public health departments. So I feel very good about the infrastructure that we've built. As you know, we're number one among the top 10 states in the United States in terms of per capita vaccinations. Uh, we continue to hold that position. Um, and I'm very proud of the fact that our infrastructure will allow us to just add more vaccine into that uh, process in order to get more and more each day done. So that was our conversation with Governor J.B. Pritzker one year into the COVID-19 pandemic. That's it for this edition of Capital Cast, a regular podcast of Capital News Illinois. Capital News Illinois is a reporting project of the Illinois Press Foundation and the Robert R. McCormick Foundation. Find more at our website, capitalnewsillinois.com.